And uh, while that's going around, just to uh, highlight again a class coming up uh, starting this Wednesday here at the church. We're going to be doing a six-week class on on hearing God, and uh, it'll be some teaching and some practical exercises. And if you're uh, wanting to uh, grow in being able to hear God's voice, because it is something that we have to learn often and grow in, uh, we are going to be studying that over the next six weeks from uh, about 6.30 to 8.30 every Wednesday night for uh, six weeks following. Um, uh, and you will learn how to hear God's voice if you don't. Money back guarantee. It, it's free, so I don't know where you get back, but... <laughs> Um, and I'm going to be teaching that, so uh, come out uh, this Wednesday for six weeks. Also, we are looking for a couple uh, more volunteers for craft dinner lunch every Thursday here. We have about 100 or so youth come over from the high school, and they fill up this place, and we play games and hang out, and uh, it'll be great to have another uh, adult or two just to uh, help uh, maintain the fun and, uh, um, and help clean up afterwards. So that's every uh, Thursday as well. And this time we're going to dismiss uh, children, grade 5 and under, off to Promised Land. So grade 5 and under will be heading out today. And let me just pray blessing over our young people. Uh, God, we pray for uh, the children in our midst. Uh, God, that you, uh, by your Holy Spirit, might uh, continue to cover them and bless them and grow them in you. And we pray over our Sunday school today, uh, God, that your Spirit would uh, fill that room and uh, bless everything that happens there. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so if there are young people, there's Elena back there taking them out. And happy Thanksgiving weekend to everybody. We had a fun night last night with uh, Kathy celebrating her pre-60th birthday. Uh, well, many of us also gathered for Max Nanichuk's funeral um, yesterday as well. And, uh, and as I always say, uh, being part of a community, you always have uh, moments of rejoicing and moments of mourning, oh, usually at the same time. And, and part of uh, being a follower of Jesus is learning how to navigate those two worlds, sometimes at the very uh, same time, and being able to honor people who are we're going through both of those situations. Uh, we are continuing in the book of Ephesians today. Uh, we finished up our section on marriage. Today we get to talk about parenting. Next week we talk, uh, get to talk about work, a uh, thing that we all love, right? Excited to get some few, few days off here. We are talking about parenting, but if you're not a parent, there's good stuff in here for all of you. And uh, if you're not a parent, well, maybe one day you will have kids, or maybe you're a grandparent. Uh, but as we've talked about here before, even if you don't have kids, as part of a community, we all have a responsibility to grow the kids that are in our midst and uh, continue to challenge us to learn the names of all the young people in our community, to get to know them and to bless them and build into them. And so there's going to be some helpful stuff for all of us here today. And we're going to begin back in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, with this. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so, uh, if you've been here for the last while, there are four things that come out of being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, there's a lot more than just four things, but Paul mentions four things in this text. And one of them is, is singing. And that's one of the reasons we spend a good deal of time every time we gather singing, because this is part of, of the Holy Spirit in us. It is a part of learning to get our attention off ourselves, because sometimes we don't want to sing. <laughs> it's learning to get our attention off ourselves and put it on someone else, namely Jesus. It teaches us selflessness. It teaches us to uh, put our attention on someone else. And so we worship. We sing to each other. We sing to Jesus. It's part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it mentions always giving thanks. This is another outflowing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we are to be people who actually give thanks. Now notice, because it's Thanksgiving weekend, notice this. It doesn't just say to be thankful. Most of the time when the Bible talks about being uh, thanksgiving, it always says give thanks. There's a difference. I mean, a lot of times we can say, well, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm a thankful person, but do you give thanks? There's something that happens when you actually are able to give thanks. As we've talked about here, it actually changes your brain. The more you give thanks, the more you're, you actually become a thankful person. And we are living in a society that likes to complain. We're living in a society that, first of all, complains and criticizes before it gives thanks. And the more you criticize and the more you complain, the more it changes and wires your brain to do that. And that's why often sometimes the first thing we do when we come to church is criticize and complain. The first thing we do when we go to work is criticize and complain. The first thing we do when we go over because we wired our brains to be critical and complain about everything instead of being thankful. And we are to train our brains to be thankful. And the way we do that is we constantly give thanks. That's why we connect with you. We give thanks. Just give thanks. Verbalize it to each other. Verbalize it to Jesus. Uh, It changes you. And another outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as we've been talking in the last few weeks, is this. Submitting to one another. Learning to submit to one another. The more the Holy Spirit is at work in you, the more you are able to submit to each other. And the idea of submission, as we've been talking about, is sacrificial service uh, to another person. Uh, The more you realize what Jesus has done for you, the more you're filled with the Spirit, the more you just want to honor others and serve others. And last three weeks, we've been talking how that works out in marriages, how husbands submit to wives and how wives submit to husbands, and they sacrificially serve each other. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about this in family, how parents submit to kids and how kids submit to their parents. This is what this whole section is talking about, this outflowing of the Holy Spirit into mutual submission, and it works its way out in a variety of ways. And so our text today begins like this. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And uh, all of us came from some human parent, so this applies to us all. Most likely this is pointed at smaller children, but this would also apply to all of us uh, who uh, still have parents alive. Uh, That we are to obey our parents in the Lord. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. And it's important this phrase, in the Lord or because you belong to the Lord, because Paul is interjecting a new reality. Uh, It's not just you obey parents because you have to. The reason we obey our parents, the reason we honor our mother and father is because we belong to the Lord. Because we're a part of a new kingdom. We're part of a new reality that has different principles. And the principle of the kingdom is that we learn to honor people. 
And some of those people we honor are our parents. Uh, the kingdom is either a kingdom of life, there's the kingdom of life at work through Jesus Christ, and there's a kingdom of death at work through the work of the enemy. These two kingdoms are described in John chapter 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, this is Jesus, that they may have life and have it to the full. And these two kingdoms are always operating. The kingdom of life that is blessing people, building people up, bringing people together in relationship, or there's the kingdom of death, uh, destruction, where relationships are broken and, and people are being pulled apart and there's destruction. And all of us have the uh, choice of which kingdom we're going to belong to. And what Paul is saying is this text, because you belong to the Lord, you're a part of the kingdom of life. Therefore, in relation to your parents, bring life. Don't bring death. Don't bring separation. Don't bring destruction. We are to be bringers and carriers of life because we are part of the kingdom of life. And so we bring that into our family situations where we obey our parents and we uh, honor our mother and father. In fact, to expand this to a wider uh, area, we are actually called to honor all people. Uh, because we're a part of the kingdom of life, we honor people. This is what it says in 1 Peter 2.7. Honor all people. Not just the people who deserve honor, but it says all people. Romans 12 says, Do be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness. It says eagerness in honoring one another. In other words, it's not something that we just kind of honor each other because we have to. It's actually be eager. It's like, I really want to honor someone. And this flows out of a relationship with Jesus, out of this kingdom of life. Because Jesus has given us so life, so much life, and we are part of the kingdom of life. We just want to pass that on and honor other people and, and to bless other people. Because this is what uh, it means to honor someone. The word means to respect, uh, to esteem highly, to bless, to lift up, to promote, to elevate another's status. And Paul is saying that we are to be eager to do this to each other. And in the context of today, we are to be eager to do this to our parents, to lift them up, to raise them up, to bless them. Uh, if we wanted an illustration of what it means to honor someone, uh, we could go to the book of Daniel. You remember when Daniel interpreted this impossible dream that the king had? And he interprets it so the king, it says he wants to honor Daniel. And this is what he does. Then the king elevated Daniel to a high position and bestowed on him many marvelous gifts. He granted him authority over the entire province of Babylon and made him the main uh, prefect or ruler over all the wise men of Babylon. He honored him. He lifted him up. He blessed him. And Paul says, all of us are to be eager eager to do this to one another. That when we come here, that we'd be eager to be blessing people, to be flowing with this life and bringing life to all those around us. And, and Paul is saying we're, we're to be doing this to, to our parents. We are to be blessing them and honoring them. Now you might say, well, Daniel deserved honor. He did a good thing. But my parents, they don't deserve honor. Uh, my parents were horrible. They abused me. They hurt me. They, whatever it might be. Uh, but part of the principle of the kingdom is that we don't honor people because they deserve it. We honor people primarily because we have first been honored. Because we have been honored, we honor. 
Now, we don't honor those sinful things in people's lives. I mean, we don't say, wow, you're so, such an amazing liar. I just love that. I mean, we don't do that. We, we honor the good things. We honor those king, because you can always find something kingdom in pretty much everybody's life, something that, that kind of shines of Jesus a little bit. Even in people who don't follow Jesus, you can find them maybe loving like Jesus or serving like Jesus, and those are the things that we honor and we lift up. It says in 1 John 4 that, that we love because he first loved us. And it's the same with honor. We honor others because we have first been honored. And Jesus has honored us incredibly. I mean, we don't deserve to be his adopted children in the kingdom, but he gives us that honor. He blesses and lifts us up, and we become uh, his own children. He calls us our very dearly loved children in Ephesians 5.1. You realize that? You're a dearly loved child of God. Now, we don't deserve that, but he has honored us with that position. He says he has seated us in the heavenly realms. We don't deserve that, but he has given us that position. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, it says in Ephesians. We don't deserve that, but he has given that to us. You see, because we have been honored when we don't deserve it, we honor those around us even though they don't deserve it. And we have to be eager, actually, to honor those. Uh, the Bible says, even with enemies, we're to love our enemies in the sense that is finding ways we can honor even our enemies, finding those things that maybe emulate the kingdom in someone's life, and we lift them up and we bless them because we are part of the kingdom of life. We are not a part of the kingdom of death. And so whenever we go, we are to be carriers of life into all situations. We are to adding life to the room, adding life to our relationships, adding life to our parents because we have Jesus in us. We're not to be people who rob life, kill, stealing, and destroying relationships with others because that is not the kingdom we uh, belong to. And so he says here in this text, uh, back to the text, uh, children, obey your parents. Now, again, this doesn't mean like blind obedience. And if your parents say, you know, would you lie for me or would you cover this up or, uh, you know, they tell you to do something, that's not kingdom. Uh, our first allegiance is always to God. And then to those other authorities that God has placed uh, over us. And we see this teaching throughout Scripture. We see uh, in Acts chapter 5, for instance, the ruling authorities of the day uh, command the disciples not to talk about Jesus anymore. And they are, in a sense, an authority. Uh, but the disciples uh, says this. Uh, These are the authorities. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. That's Jesus' name. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, he's not saying that they never obey human authority, but in this situation, when the human authorities ask them to do something that's part of the kingdom of death rather than life, they say no. And so we obey parents. The Bible talks about obeying the government obeying church leaders, we do that because God has placed some human authorities over that. We do that unless they tell us to do something that's part of the kingdom of darkness. And then we say, I have a higher authority. And so this is also in the realm of kids, that kids can say no to their parents when their parents are asking them to do something that contradicts the kingdom of life. Now, when we honor our father and mother, there's actually a promise of blessing. It says this, honor your father and mother, 
which is the first commandment with a promise. In other words, out of the Ten Commandments, this is the first promise, uh, commandment with a promise. And a promise is this, if you do this, God's going to do this to you. And so it says, this is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. This is the promise. If you honor your father and mother, you're going to be blessed. And notice it says on earth. This is not like heavenly blessing in the future, and one day I'm going to get rewards for honoring my parents, you know. On the earth, now in this life, you will be blessed from God. That's what it's saying. This is one of the reasons we need to be eager to, because, I mean, anything that leads us to more blessing from God is something like, I want that. (laughs) And one of the paths is through honoring our parents and those things that we can honor in their lives. In the parallel verse in Colossians, it says, children, obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. You put a smile on God's face. When he sees someone uh, following the authority of their parents in a way that just, it just makes God smile. And not only does it make God smile, but God says, I want to bless you for that. This is a promise. It says it's a promise. Not, and God's promises are always yes and amen. They're, they're true. This isn't a promise where I'm going to obey and, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be blessed or not. You will be blessed because it's a promise from God that we will be blessed. Now, we have lots of blessing in Jesus, but there are certain things in the Bible that we have to obey in order to receive the blessing. I mean, we are so blessed in Jesus just just on our own, but there are certain things that if we want to receive a greater blessing from God, it comes out of obedience. And this is one of those areas. Obey your parents, then I'm going to add blessing to you. Don't obey your parents, and you're going to be missing out on some blessing. We see this theme all throughout the scriptures, for instance, in Matthew chapter 6. It says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. They talk about people who are freaking out about, you know, I'm, I'm short of money and finances, and I got all these worries, and they're stressed out. Then Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom, do this, and then something happens. Seek first his kingdom, obey God, put him first, and then something happens. And his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus saying, if you want my full blessing, then seek first the kingdom. And we've talked about this before in this, that, that, that if you want a deeper, just a fuller blessing from God, you want his hand, a favor to be on you in greater ways, put him first. Amen. Put him first in your finances, put him first in your time, put him first in your week, put him first because this is just one of the paths to greater blessing. This is what he's saying here. Seek first the kingdom, blessing comes. Don't seek first the kingdom, you're missing out. And I tell you, we don't want to be missing out what God has for us. We need him so very much. We need his touch every moment, every hour, every day. He is so full of life. We are empty a lot of times. We don't want to miss out. And so we follow him and we obey him. Now it goes on and it says now, turning to uh, parents, It says fathers here, but the Greek word actually can mean father and mothers, but because it's kind of a patriarchal society, fathers are mentioned here. Uh, But this would be fathers and mothers. Do not exasperate, which means don't bring your children to anger. Don't bring them to bitterness. Some translations will have. uh, Don't 
you know, cause them to be super frustrated. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So again, as a parent, you can be part of either kingdom. As a parent, you can bring life to your kids, or you can bring death and destruction and, uh, you know, anger to your kids. That's what he's saying. And he's saying to fathers, I don't want you to be part of the kingdom of darkness. I want you to be a part of the kingdom of life. And I want you to breathe life, not anger, life into your children by bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And this would be radical because in those days, the fathers had ultimate authority. As we talked about in marriage, the men were in charge. Women and children were always considered less. In some cultures, women were not even considered to be made out of the same stuff as men. Uh, and so this, this, is, this is revolutionary what Paul is saying. Fathers, I don't want you to bring your kids to anger. But this was the culture. And Ecclesiasticus, not the book of Ecclesiastes, but this is another uh, ancient text. It just describes kind of what life was like for fathers and children in those days. Uh, this, was, this is the rule. A father who loves his son will whip him and beat him often while he is still a child. A father should not pamper his son, play with him, or share in his laughter. Don't play with your kids. Don't laugh with your kids. Just beat them. That's the way you do it. And in many ways, that was the culture. And so Paul steps in and says, I don't want you to be a part of the kingdom of darkness. I don't want you to be leading your kids to anger because this frustrates kids. A scholar, Klein Snodgrass, said this, the power of fathers was almost unlimited in the Greco-Roman world. They determined whether a newborn baby had the right to live or die, and many baby girls in particular were abandoned to die. I mean, the father could say, I want it, I don't want her. Mom didn't have a choice. Brothers didn't have a choice. They had the ultimate authority. Fathers could and did sell their children, especially girls, into slavery. They could punish them as harshly as they wished, work them hard, or even put them to death. Now, we look at that and say, man, that's horrible. It is. That's rotten, dirty, devil-like stuff. But we have issues today in our families. This is what he goes on to say. Our society may be less harsh in its statements, but the attitudes and diversity of the ancient world are strangely mirrored in our own. The bother and expense of marriage and children still cause many to reject both. Parents do not have the free reign fathers in the ancient world did, but in far too many homes, children are subjected to constant abuse, anger, violence, and sexual abuse. We perpetuate cycles of violence, and hostile homes produce hostile kids. And so he, Paul steps in and says, I don't want you, parents, to be leading your kids to anger. I don't want you to be a part of the kingdom of death and destruction. I want you to be part of the kingdom of life. And by the way, biblical authority, we've mentioned this in marriage, always, always has to do with the ability to give life. Parents have authority in the home, therefore they are to be givers of life. I mean, there are some people who might be really talented, but if they can't give life, they don't have authority. Uh, I mean, talent and uh, anointing or whatever is different than authority. I mean, there are some people who are amazingly gifted leaders, but they don't have authority because they can't give life. They just bring destruction. And it's the same in the home. There might be moms and dads who are really talented of a lot of stuff, but they don't have biblical authority in the right way if they can't bring life into the home, if they're only bringing death. And so Paul says, I, I, I don't want you to be bringing death. 
The parallel verse also says this. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged when there's constant pressure and uh, criticism and, you know, rules and no relationship. This is sometimes the danger, as we've talked about in, in conservative homes where rules become more important than relationships. Don't bring your kids to a place of bitterness. And this, this word here, playing out the Greek word, uh, one New Testament scholar said this, uh, that this word rules out excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Again, bringing life into the home, not taking life away from the home. Uh, They've been finding um, in research, it's fun how science often confirms what the Bible's been saying. It's all the time. (laughs) But this idea of don't bring your kids to anger. Uh, It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that our words are always to be building up others according to their needs. That we're to be givers of life. And they're finding out the effects of negative words on kids. Uh, you know, some people say, you know, I, I get really angry and I blow up at my kids and I yell at them, but then I try to be really, really nice to make up for it. They're finding out you can't really make up for it. Uh, one article said this, we respond more deeply and quickly to criticism than to praise. In other words, words, especially from parents of negativity and condemnation, really, really stick with us. More so than words of kindness and grace. The positive doesn't offset the negative. Words are still damaging when you have one loving parent who uses his or her words with care and one who is verbally aggressive and abusive. Uh, One researcher and her team proved this in a study of whether affectionate behavior by one parent could somehow mitigate or buffer a child from the damage inflicted by a verbally aggressive parent. In other words, one parent yells a lot and is aggressive and kind of condemning, and the other parent is trying to be really nice and loving to make up for it. And the question in the research was, was, could this loving parent make up for the damage of this harsh parent? And they said, no, Uh, it doesn't work that way. Uh, even in more salient, uh, even more salient is the finding that if a parent who is verbally abusive later demonstrate affectionate behavior, the effect of the abuse isn't ameliorated, isn't taken away. In other words, we've got to be really careful with our words. We've got to be really careful with our character around our kids because it infuses into them and it actually changes their brain. And uh, this is what this article went on to say. Born into a safe, attentive, attuned environment, The child's brain develops normally. When born into one which is either unsupportive or hostile, the brain does not. Studies show that various parts of the brain are affected by a hostile situation. A study by, I like this doctor's name, Tomato. I'd like to be Pastor Tomato. I think it'd be awesome. (laughs) A study (laughs) by this guy and other uh, points to literal structural changes in gray matter of the brain in the presence of verbal abuse without proving causation. Thanks to MR imaging, the question of whether verbal abuse changes how the brain functions is no longer a question. We know that abuse leaves behind a specific legacy. It actually changes the brains of kids in negative ways. When there is abuse and anger and controlling, uh, that kind of stuff at home. And so what Paul says here, don't bring your kids to anger. Don't embitter your kids is 
man, confirmed by science. It really, really does hurt children. And so we need to make sure that we are being filled with life of Jesus so that when we're pushed in the wrong way or ticked off by our kids, that it's not negativity that comes out, but it's the love of Jesus. And it's life that comes out, not, not uh, the kingdom of darkness. Now, if your kids are brought up in a Christian home, there are five Gospels which your kids are going to read. Uh, they're probably going to read Matthew, and they're probably going to read Mark, and they're probably going to read Luke, and they're probably going to read John, but there's one more Gospel that they will read more than those other four. And the Gospel is you as a parent. And they have studied this, and we've talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about raising up kids in our church, that it's just an absolute fact that kids pay far more attention to your gospel than they do to the four gospels. Now you might say, well, it shouldn't be like that. The word of God is our authority. Yeah, okay, we can talk about that. But the reality is they pay more attention to the gospel you are showing them through your life than any other influence. And I hope that you're living the gospel of Jesus. I hope that your gospel lines up with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So your kids aren't like, Matthew, I get it. Oh, Jesus is awesome. Luke, I get it. Jesus and Mark, he's Jesus. Wow, we love Jesus. Where'd this gospel come from? <laughs> this one's out to lunch. I mean, uh, <laughs> now, granted, we as parents are going to mess up. And we've told our kids, you know, some of our messiness, we're going to pass on to you and you got to deal with it because none of us are perfect. But I tell you, We've got to do everything we can to make sure that our gospel lines up with the gospel of Jesus, with the gospel of life, not the gospel of death. Now, I just want to finish with a few points. Uh, Chris Valentin uh, had a blog post a little a while ago with some awesome tips that I just want to leave you with on, on parenting. Uh, first of all, be consistent. Parenting shouldn't depend on your mood. Make sure your kids can count on the same outcomes no matter how you feel. For instance, if your kid is screaming for candy in the store and one day you are tired and so you give it to them, you just taught your child that if they throw a fit, eventually they'll get their way. And these kids grow up and they learn to throw fits to get their way. I mean, we are living in a culture where there's just radical disrespect everywhere. And people can't even have conversations with someone who has a different opinion with them anymore. They just leave, they just run away, they freak out because, I mean, there's just radical disrespect and some of that is learnt when they're small that if I want my way, I'm just going to complain and whine and run out the room and then I get my way. We got to do better than that. Uh, number two, uh, don't yell. That's what we talked about. If your voice has to escalate before you finally act, then you are teaching your kids that you don't mean what you say until the volume of your voice reaches a certain pitch. That I know when my mom yells the third time, that's when I got to obey. But the first time, I don't need to give a rip about what my parents say because they only mean it on the third time. Uh, so don't yell. Uh, number three, uh, teach your kids how to think by giving them choices. Uh, for example, if they are making noise in the living room and you want them uh, out of your way, say something like this. Do you want to play in your room or would you rather play in the backyard? In other words, part of our role as parents is teaching our kids how to think. And the way we teach our kids how to think is to help them make choices, and we guide those. But if you always give them the answer to everything, they don't learn how to think. And, uh, and so we're going to teach our kids how to think. Uh, number four, correct attitudes before they become an, uh, an action. All behavior begins with a thought, which manifests in an attitude that finally becomes an action. Therefore, bad actions begin with wrong thoughts, 
When you correct an attitude, you are teaching your kids how to manage their inner world so that they don't make a mess of their outer world. And this is what Jesus says, that our actions come from here. And we need to make sure that we are not just shaping our kids outwardly, that more importantly, we're shaping them their heart. Because everything flows from their heart. And so when we discipline our kids or help our kids, we always need to be going back to the heart. Why were you thinking that? Uh, what is going on inside? Because you've got to deal with this. If you don't teach your kids how to manage their inner world, uh, they're just, their outer world is going to be a mess and they're not going to know how to navigate life. And so always be going back to the attitudes and the heart and going deeper behind their behavior. Number five, uh, be the first one to inform your kids about any important subject. Uh, the principle of first mention says that the first time we hear something about any subject, we receive it as truth. Everything else we receive on that same subject after first exposure will be weighted against our first experience and embraced or rejected accordingly. For example, if you wait until your kids are 15 years old to tell them about sex, which is way too late, by the way, is the point, <laughs> and therefore their friends tell them first or the internet tells them first, they will compare what you taught them to what their friends have told them if what you shared was opposite of their friend's counsel, they are likely to reject your input and embrace theirs. And so it's important to try to be the first person to tell them about those important truths and important matters in life. Number six, don't be a helicopter mom or dad. Uh, let children learn from their own experiences whenever possible. When you see them doing something wrong and it doesn't have severe consequences, let them experiment they learn more from their mistakes than they do from their successes. And so sometimes you just let your kids make little mistakes because they learn from it. And number seven, don't compare your children to another. If you do, you will teach them to live a competitive life. And sometimes you see this in young people. They're just super competitive. And often that is, comes from the parents. Uh, constantly measuring themselves against each other. The goal is for each of our children to fully, be fully actualized. In other words, we want each one of them to be who God created them to be. We don't want them to become an imitation of someone else. Every kid is different. Every kid is wired, has different gifts. You fan those. Don't compare. Number eight, speak positively into your children's lives. When you say, you are so smart, gifted, honest, talented, it actually releases those qualities into your kids. Don't call your kids names or curse them with titles. You are the most powerful person in their lives. And as they find with MRI imaging, those words of curses and those condemning words affect the brain negatively. They can actually measure it on MRI. Number nine, never stop believing in your children. Let them know that they can become anything they want in life. Be their biggest fan, their cheerleader, and their catalyst for greatness. Number 10, Teach your kids how to solve conflicts by allowing them to watch you solve yours. Again, part of our job as parents is to help our kids so they can be independent in life. And I tell you, there's a lot of conflict in this world. And so we've got to start small, teaching our kids how to work through conflict. Don't shelter them from watching you and your spouse work through your issues. Unless, of course, you guys don't behave honorably. <laughs> then go somewhere else, please. If you have, to use wisdom, you have to use wisdom on this one, but your kids need to understand that every healthy relationship has its struggles. They need great tools to solve conflicts, not to avoid them. A few more here. Let your home be full of affection for them and for your spouse. Be affectionate with your spouse in front of them so that they learn what love looks like. Hug and kiss them often, even in their teen years. 
Number 12, teach your kids how to honor others, especially authority. Don't talk negatively about teachers, pastors, bosses, police officers, politicians, elders, etc. The fact is your kids will not be able to live successfully in a society without a healthy respect for authority. How will they keep their job if they can't do what is asked? This is really important to teach your kids how to honor people. And if all you do at home is criticize all the authorities around, it is really setting your kids off on the wrong foot. Number 13, let your children catch you loving on Jesus. Walking in on their father or mother kneeling at their bed praying is 10 times more powerful than telling your kids to pray. Reading your Bible every day on the couch in the living room sends a powerful visual statement to your kids that you value spiritual things. Remember, people are changed through observation more than they are arguments. They gotta see this. Again, you are the most important gospel that they are gonna see in your lives. And this is the same with grandparents. They watch you. And even if you're not a parent, when you come to church, they watch you. Again, the two most important facts in reaching the next generation, as we talked about, are parents and the community they're involved in. That's us. We got number two role. That's why parents are not left to themselves. We work together raising our kids. Last verse here, Luke 6. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his house, ha, uh, heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The heart speaks what, uh, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The best thing you can do as a parent is just to really dive into your relationship with Jesus. I mean, the things we really need to parent well come from the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, patience, all those things, that comes from the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you're finding losing your temper and snapping at your kids and blowing up and then later having to apologize, turn your heart to Jesus in deeper ways and deeper surrender. Allow yourself to be filled in deeper ways from the Holy Spirit because out of your mouth, the heart, uh, out of the mouth, it, it comes from what's in your heart. And if your heart is full of the Holy Spirit and your heart is full of your love for Jesus and you're worshiping and you're connecting with him and your heart is full, I tell you, it's a lot harder when your kids push you or bump you to have anger and criticism and judgmentalism come out of your mouth. And so if there would be one thing to do as a parent or as a grandparent, seek first the kingdom of God. Grow in your love for Jesus. Jesus changes us. This is not some sort of fairy tale that we talk about here. Jesus changes lives. We see it all the time. And if you need change, then you need more of Jesus. And I encourage you um, to go for prayer if you need to, to seek his face, to look to him so that you can become the best mom and the best dad possible. So Father, we just hand over to you. All of us here who are parents and grandparents, and God, just all of us, because we're, we're around kids, and we're around young people. I pray, God, that you would fill us deeper in your Holy Spirit, that you would allow words of life and goodness to flow out of us towards our children. God, that you would stop, in Jesus' name, any words of anger and negativity and condemnation. God, that you would give us wisdom how to put safe boundaries and safe discipline into our home. God, that you give us wisdom how to be parents that walk in the kingdom of life. 
And God, I pray for all of us here who have parents still alive. God, you would show us ways that we can honor our parents because we want your blessing. We know it's the right thing to do, but we also want your blessing. And we receive this blessing as a promise that when we honor our mom and dad, we are blessed. So God, on this Thanksgiving weekend, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We love you. Uh, God, we are so thrilled to know you. We are so thrilled to have you working in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.